This program is brought to you by Stanford on iTunes U at Stanford University. Please visit us at itunes.stanford.edu. Up next from Ashoka, Muhammad Yunus, winner of the 2006 Nobel Peace Prize, explains how Grameen Bank and the Grameen family of companies produced prosperity by correcting past errors that led to poverty. Envisioning a new kind of capitalism, Yunus illuminates the next steps for the microfinance revolution. From the Conversations Network's Social Innovation Channel. Hi, this is Elena Connor. And I'm Eric Nee. We are your hosts on Social Innovation Conversations. Today we're excited to bring you a presentation from Ashoka's Social Entrepreneurship Series. In this series, you will meet six eminent global social entrepreneurs who are the founding members of Ashoka's Global Academy as they share their insights, strategies, and vision for change. Recognizing the power of individual innovation in social change, Bill Drayton founded Ashoka in 1981. Ashoka identifies and invests in extraordinary individuals with unprecedented ideas for change in their communities, supporting them, their ideas, and institutions through all phases of their careers. For more information or to get involved, visit www.ashoka.org. Our audio files are delivered by Limelight Networks, the high-performance content delivery network for digital media. Thank you, Limelight, for your support of the Conversations Network. The Conversations Network is supported in part by listener memberships, so please visit our website at conversationsnetwork.org to learn more about becoming a member. And now, here's our presentation from Ashoka's Social Entrepreneurship Series. Grameen Bank is best known for bringing the power of microfinance to over 4 million poor women in Bangladesh. But it has also created more than two dozen other ventures. Whether non-profit or for-profit, our involvement relates to benefiting to the poor people. Mohammed Yunus, Grameen Bank's founder, describes why and how Grameen has launched enterprises in areas as diverse as textiles, cell phone technology, and healthcare. He shares the valuable lessons he has learned in finding new ways to give Grameen's members even greater access to opportunity and power. We need a very different structure, different framework, different reference points. We would be judged by our own uh, achievements. Dr. Yunus sees a global need for a new kind of capitalism, one that puts people in need First, he demonstrates how economic viability can magnify the impact of social ventures. And he describes the support systems needed to allow this new model of capitalism to reach its vast potential. One of the things that uh, I draw attention to in, ta in, in connection with uh, poverty, uh, that uh, poor people are victims of the system and system is composed of uh, institutions, policies and concepts. Uh, so I'm talking about creating institutions which are open and uh, which can reach out to the poor people so that they can do business with those institutions. 
And Grameen Bank is one example that we tried to build where poor people are welcome. And we said we reverse the basic uh, principle of uh, banking. And conventional banking is based on the principle, the more you have, the more you can get. We reversed that. We said, less you have, higher priority you get. If you have nothing, you get the highest priority. Then we talk about the concepts. Where did we go wrong with the concepts? And the concept, one issue that I raised, that the capitalism has been narrowly defined, narrowly interpreted. So the real interesting part of capitalism has been just abandoned or never explored, never exposed. The business, the way it has been interpreted in capitalism is that business is an entity which is created to make money. Uh, and that's the capitalist system. I said, that's just wrong. Capitalism never said that uh, you have to create an institution to make money only. You can create another kind of an institution which can do good to people. Uh, it is interested in recovery, recovering its cost so that it can continue and run. But it's not interested in maximization of profit. It, can just, uh, it could be just described as a non-loss companies. So that, uh, like uh, you already familiar with the uh, non-profit organization. Non-profit organizations are organizations which are basically charity organizations. So that uh, you give away because you are not uh, interested in making profit, but you are not interested in recovering cost either. But the non-loss companies are in very much a business proposition. It runs by itself, it recovers its own money and continues, but works uh, to achieve some social objectives. From the conventional businesses, uh, now there are voices saying that we would like to be more uh, supportive of people and, uh, and the society, sometimes called socially responsible uh, businesses. These are good initiatives from people, but I'm a little bit uh, skeptical about that because the basic uh, ground on which you work, uh, you can go to a certain extent. If you're bold, you can go a little bit more, but still you're tied to that basic tenet of business, maximization of profit. You may be a business leader, you want to do something, but your investors who are there, they want uh, you to bring them more money. So you're always pulled back. The framework is laid out because that's the conceptual framework. You cannot uh, venture out of it. Everything, all the institutions, all the assessment, evaluations, ratings are all done on the basis of this. So I appreciate and admire those who are doing that. But at the same time saying that we need a different kind of framework, reference points, so that we can do the full blast of it. And that's what the social business entrepreneurship is all about, uh, where you are not judged by the existing measures. You create your own measuring scale. Uh, to give an example, a conventional bank can lend some money without guarantee, without uh, collateral to few people. This is great, I'll applaud that. But that has not changed the bank. But if you, if you come to Grameen Bank, uh, this is what we all do with millions of people. Uh, this is our only business. We can't get away from this. This is what we have committed ourselves into. So that's the distinction I'm making. We need a very different structure, different framework, different reference points. We would be judged by our own uh, achievements. One can start a social business venture uh, from two different sides, or maybe three different sides. 
you may be already in a non-profit organization, NGO, doing a healthcare program, providing healthcare with donor money, somebody gave you money. Then you realize that all the time you need the money from somebody to do one more thing. You say, this is very uncertain whether I get the money or not. Why don't I charge a small fee for the service? It's not covering all the cost, but getting some money. So at least to that extent, I don't have to take the money from outside. That will be less. You have the uh, healthcare program. Uh, you are all focused on the uh, poor people because uh, that's what your intention is. Now to make money what you thought, maybe I will expand this business a little bit. While I'm doing the poor, I will also do the rich. So that I make money with the rich and cross-subsidize my work with the poor. And in the end, uh, I recover my uh, costs. So this is one way, just a cross-subsidization. So moving gradually from the non-profit end, step by step, to a level where you are not any longer a non-profit organization, you are recovering your cost, and for the first time, you balanced it. So you have entered the business world from the non-profit world. You have entered the non-loss world. To your investors, you are assuring that their money will not disappear. It's, it's not a grant. It's a loan, but maybe a loan with uh, no interest, but not assuring that you make money. You're saying you feel good that we are doing this. That's it. So this is one category where you come in. Another one, uh, one can be a very big business person making lots of money. Uh, it's a real aggressive business. Uh, just like uh, a, any classic business could, have, could be. But he decided, I've made enough money and I continue to run this company, make more money in that. But I want to also run a social business venture. I want to do good through this company because I know the tricks of the business. I don't want any profit to come because I make enough profit here. But this is something that I want to do. So same person could play uh, two roles. It could be just a conventional uh, business person or it could be a social business person at the same time. Or the third category, neither in the non-profit world nor in the for-profit world, he was a professor, he was an uh, artist, can come in and design something, this is the way I'm going to do it, and I'll make it happen. And you become a very successful social business entrepreneur. As an artist, you never cared for money, you enjoyed doing your work, and still you don't care for money, and you are doing good for people, and you enjoy that. It's possible. When we created companies, they came from many different historical backgrounds. It's not something I planned some 30 years back, I'll have this company and this company and two years later this company. I had absolutely no such plan, no such uh, even imagination uh, that someday it will happen. Because the whole Grameen story is started out with a blank piece of paper or a blank mind. Uh, every time it was one step and we thought that was the last step. And once we took that step, uh, two more steps appeared. We never had any idea whether I was going to have a bank. Uh, that was not intention at all, nowhere. All I was doing is demonstrating that it can be done. But I was sucked into the process where it led me to say, ah, why don't we have our bank? Because it's not working this way. Uh, this is the only solution if you can create our own bank. But each one of those companies came along the way 
for solving a particular problem. Some of them didn't come at the beginning as a, uh, as a company. It was a project and then it became larger and larger. Then I saw the difficulty of a bank running completely different thing, like a fisheries project, like a agricultural project, which by itself is a large entity. So I decided, why don't we give them a shape of a company? So what kind of company? Well, it's best thing to describe as a non-profit company, as a non-stock uh, non-profit company. But uh, when the opportunity for telephone came, obviously we need investors, and if we say it's a non-profit company, nobody will be around. So we said it's a for-profit company, it's a big money will be waiting for you. And we got the partners and we started. So wherever it was applicable in a certain way, we took that path. If it's a non-profit, we did the non-profit. If we thought this is the way we can do it for profit, we did the for profit. But we made it very clear, wherever we are involved, whether non-profit or for profit, our involvement relates to benefiting to the poor people, either directly by the service, fisheries, agriculture, and so on, or if it's mobile phone, uh, two ways. We bring mobile phone to you, you make money, and also you own the company, a piece of the company that you are holding for you. Uh, so this is how we went ahead, and everything comes, we dis see the new idea, what will be the best format for that. Is it non-profit or a for-profit? Then we went ahead. Grameen's story began with agriculture. Uh, I got involved in uh, uh, production of rice. Uh, because I thought uh, producing rice is a solution uh, to overcome uh, famine, hunger. So it started with agriculture and it started with irrigation. And we saw the opportunity of all the non-functioning deep tubes lying all over the country. So we thought, why don't we just take it from the government and irrigate the land and let the people have it. So in, in that effort, we got involved with the large operation of deep tubes, irrigations, farming equipments, and so on. Uh, we called it uh, agricultural project. And when we bought more of those deep tubes in the northern part of Bangladesh, uh, it, it became a huge operation by itself. So at one point, we decided that uh, maybe it will be better served if we have a separate uh, uh, structure as a company for them. So we converted them into a non-profit company called Grameen Agriculture Foundation. Uh, then we got involved with the uh, fisheries program. Uh, this was an accident. I had no idea that we will ever get involved with fisheries. Uh, one day I got a call from the Secretary of Fisheries, uh, from the Ministry of Fisheries. He wanted to talk to me about this project that government had. So he said, well, the, uh, this project is just uh, a mess. Uh, there's a lot of corruption, nothing being done. We sp government is spending a lot of money, a lot of donor money is involved in that, and it's all squandered. It's, uh, there were about 800 huge big ponds lying around in the one part of Bangladesh. These were uh, uh, excavated some centuries back by some king uh, who raised a lot of cattle. The cattle needed water, so they had dug in lots of these uh, uh, ponds. So he gave a big uh, presentation of the whole situation and urged me to take it. So I discussed with my colleagues, gave the whole details, and they all agreed that we should take it over. So now that we took it over, we had to grow fish in this. So we became very interested in fish culture. And that became our big fisheries project, and we loved it. It's a beautiful place, lots of fish and so on. Uh, and at one point it became so big, 
we thought maybe we should separate out from the bank so that the uh, management of fisheries and the management of bank doesn't come to the same people. And we separated it out by creating the Fisheries Foundation. So it still was working the same way in the same territory and producing about 1,000 tons of fish each year. Many uh, families in Bangladesh uh, inherited a very special skill, skill of making fabrics, handloom operated fabrics. This is uh, something coming down uh, the families uh, over centuries. Uh, and uh, in history we read about the muslin which became very famous in the European courts. Uh, muslin is so fine fabric. Uh, produced in India because Bangladesh at that time was India, part of India. So this fabric which came from India actually was produced in Bangladesh. And these are the uh, handloom weavers which uh, still survive, tradition survives. But they had to go through a lot of struggles to keep it surviving. And still there's a million families in Bangladesh who make fabrics. Uh, but somehow the, uh, the weavers, uh, all the things that they're producing, uh, handloom product, uh, they are uh, not getting the market and the price and there's a competition coming from the cheap fabrics coming from outside, not fabric but clothing, used second-hand clothes uh, dumped in markets like Bangladesh and that uh, is so cheap that uh, handloom fabrics uh, cannot compete with them. And many of these weavers are also Grameen Bank borrowers. This became our headache when a lean season comes, they find it extremely difficult to pay back. So finally we thought, if we cannot promote it within the country, can we promote it outside? That idea caught on. Uh, we thought maybe this is a marketing thing, that we can take this fabric, take it to Europe, take it to the USA, and say this is a handloom product. So we thought of a name so that people immediately recognize what this is. So we called it Grameen Czech because basic uh, fabric that is produced is, uh, is in Czechs. And we did a good success in the first couple of years. But then something happened in the international market, it went down again. But what we achieved in the meantime, while we are trying to promote it internationally, uh, to our surprise, it excited Bangladeshi young people. They thought now this is a matter of pride to wear uh, outfit made of Grameen Czech. So it uh, became a big domestic market uh, sale. Uh, and, and still this is so. Even people who are giving gifts uh, to their friends, they ask for Grameen Czech outfits for them, for their children and so on. As a matter of pride that this is made uh, by the handloom weavers in Bangladesh and they want to show respect to it. Uh, when we are talking about Poverty, we always talk about uh, the reasons, uh, the causes of poverty and how to address that. And we saw that uh, certain interventions are very basic, very important. One is credit, which I've been uh, promoting as a, a human right. It's so basic, so important to uh, life uh, at the very bottom that it should be treated as a, a human right. And the next important thing I felt that is the information technology. This is the age where world is changing, human society is changing because of the explosion that is coming uh, in the information technology uh, innovations. Uh, so I thought uh, if we can connect information technology uh, with the poor people, 
uh, they can change their own life much faster than anybody ever thought of. Uh, how to bring these two connections together? Uh, how to make it um, happen that uh, information technology come to the poor people? One chance we got, without ever thinking this is what we would do, one chance we got was a mobile phone, and we grabbed it. Government was uh, inviting applications to give license for mobile telephone company. We applied, and after long procedural battle, finally we got a license, and we created Grameen Phone. The idea is to bring mobile phone in the rural areas of Bangladesh, and then give mobile phone in the hands of the poor women with the financing from Grameen Bank so that she can start selling the service of the telephone and become the telephone lady of the village. When we were negotiating for Grameen Phone uh, to find partners, uh, we tried out many different companies and many different companies tried us. And we finally found uh, Telenor of Norway. Uh, we liked them in, in principle because this was a government-owned company. So at least we thought uh, if it's a government-owned company, this will not be a greedy company taking, just squeeze everybody, make money and get out. But more than that, the chief of Telenor, the president of Telenor, uh, Tormot Harmansen, he is a wonderful person. He immediately understood what the Grameen Bank is trying to do, and they said, we will give you full support. So uh, if a, a social business entrepreneur is looking for a uh, business partner from the old world, uh, I would say it would be good to be very cautious. Who do you partner with? Because in the beginning, you may not know uh, all the details of the business that is coming up, but if something comes up, some crisis comes, some success comes, uh, you may not have the same feeling both ways. Uh, so you be prepared for that as, as you enter into negotiations. In order to create Grameen Fund, we are thinking how the investment from the uh, Grameen side will be uh, put into it. Should it be Grameen Bank investing in it? So in the worst case scenario, I thought this would not be a good idea to expose Grameen Bank into such thing. Uh, so another alternative I thought of is why don't I create a separate company? Uh, and they become the part owner of the Grameen Fund. So we created that company. That's a non-profit company. Uh, this is kind of a proxy company owning 35% of the Grameen Fund's share. So this is the relationship between uh, Grameen Fund and Telecom. And Telecom, we see this as a company uh, representing the interest of the Grameen borrowers. Someday these shares will be sold to Grameen borrowers so that they become the owners of the uh, Grameen Fund. Grameen Phone became a very successful company. This is the largest mobile telephone company in the country with two and a half million subscribers. And then it has the other piece. It brought the telephone in the hands of the poor women uh, in the villages to make money. And it's a roaring business. If you have one telephone, uh, if you are a Grameen Bank borrower, uh, it, you are a sure out of poverty in a couple of years. Nobody can push you down. And then it uh, changed the whole attitude of people, people having telephones, getting connected to the rest of the world, and the poor woman ha holding that telephone, she is a different person altogether. She can uh, be in touch with anybody uh, once she wants to. We have been hearing about the outsourcing businesses in India and Bangalore and all this. Is it uh, Bangladesh uh, is no different than uh, India? Dhaka is no different than Bangalore. Why can't we get in there and 
uh, start learning the process so that uh, this becomes an exciting business by itself and also exposes into the potential of information technology. We don't want to be left out because unless we are inside of information technology, we will never know what the potential is so far as the poor people is concerned. So we created one company after another uh, on the information technology side, information highway, IT park, wanted to put all the people together so that anybody wants to start an IT company can just come in and plug in and connect it with, because getting connections, connectivity in Bangladesh is a very time-consuming process. And we created a Grameen software, Winter, uh, hoping that it will be a big source of outsourcing, employ the young uh, young people from Bangladesh who would be the programmers and do the programs for uh, USA and the European market. So we uh, started a uh, training program and co uh, created a company and franchising the company, Grameen Star Education. Since Grameen uh, children are coming out of high schools, going into colleges, soon they will be looking for jobs, and they can come to these IT education centers, Grameen Star Education, and Grameen Bank can pay the fee as a loan so that they can get the training and be in the crowd of information technology and move up. So that became a big business by itself, but it went down quickly and almost came to basic minimum right now. It didn't do well because the, comp the international business went down, so it went down along with it. So hopefully if the business picks up again, this will pick up, but the company exists without making any money right now. Um, uh, as a group, IT companies, information technology-related companies didn't work. Uh, many people had to leave the company because the company can't afford to pay them. Grameen Communication, although it's an IT company, is one successful IT company. Uh, they want to bring internet in the villages, still trying it out because internet infrastructure is very poor, so they have not had success on that. Their success came from supporting Grameen Bank. They have the full responsibility of uh, computerization of the entire Grameen Bank system. They develop the software, they develop the training, they operate the computers and everything is outsourced to them. And they make good money. Uh, we created Grameen Fund, which is a social venture capital, because we had some donor money for experimentation, for innovations and so on. Uh, at one point we thought instead of trying to do it within the bank framework, why don't we uh, separate it out, create a fund uh, a venture fund and they can invest in all the companies that we have in mind and have partners together. Uh, so we created Grameen Fund with that money and they invested in Grameen Software, they invested in Grameen IT Park. All the companies that we created at first investment came from the venture capital and then investment came from the private capital so that it's a joint venture company between the private entrepreneurs in the business world and then social venture from the uh, uh, Grameen Fund and hoping that if some of the Grameen borrowers now become very successful, want to go into bigger businesses, Grameen Fund can provide the uh, venture capital for them and move it from there. Another company which has been uh, very successful, uh, I must say, this is Grameen Trust. Grameen Trust is a non-profit. We wanted to in, uh, handle the problem of uh, uh, dealing with the visitors who are coming to look at us, uh, understand training and all that. So we, we created this uh, company so that all the visitors can uh, go to them and they provide all the facilities, the materials and so on and they do it in a kind of a business way. Grameen Dialogue is a workshop for uh, new people to understand Grameen Bank. And this is a 
technical uh, know-how package they provide, and they make a, a little earning on the side by uh, charging you fee if you are getting the materials, they charge you uh, for the materials, and if they want uh, someone from Grameen Bank to come and look at your program and give their assessment, they charge a fee and organize this whole thing, and if you want to start a, a Grameen program in your country, uh, you want to uh, have a build, operate, and transfer, they will take the contract and find the people, do the negotiations, all those things. And today, uh, programs are uh, developed with Grameen staff on a build, operate, and transfer system already done in Kosovo. It's a very uh, beautiful program running in uh, Turkey. It's running now uh, in Zambia. Uh, so looking at the number of successful replicators of Grameen Bank around the world, uh, you must uh, applaud uh, Grameen Trust for the wonderful work they have done. Another one is the Grameen uh, Energy or Grameen Shakti, uh, which uh, started out to uh, bring solar energy in the country because Bangladesh is a country where 70% of the people do not have access to electricity. Grameen Energy brought the solar panel and started selling solar panels in the villages. People loved it. They packaged it in a way it's easy for them to pay back installment payment over a period of three years or so. It's your own system. You learn it very quickly. They train you how to maintain that system. It goes on for years. So that has picked up. Each month today, they sell uh, over 1,200 solar systems uh, in the villages of Bangladesh. And it keeps growing uh, every month as we move on. Some of these successful companies uh, sooner or later will go public and our intention is when they go public we'll bring some of the shares to the Grameen borrowers to buy and gradually they will have a portfolio of these shares. But uh, realizing that it may not be convenient for them to look after so many diverse set of companies, uh, well, it will be a good idea to have one-stop uh, shop for them. So we created a Grameen Mutual Fund. Uh, which would be listed uh, in the Dhaka Stock Exchange this month. One company that we are uh, hoping that will go into uh, offering uh, public shares would be Grameen Cybernet, which has been a very successful company. This is an uh, internet service provider company. They have been making profit in the third or fourth year of their operation, and ever since they have been making profit. So they have come to a stage where they want to uh, go public and uh, issue the share. The next company that we see uh, uh, would be uh, Grameen Phone, being a successful company, uh, would like to uh, uh, be in the uh, stock market and issue the shares. Delay is coming because one of the idea is in the Grameen uh, Phone that the share, uh, this, uh, they will uh, float the shares in three stock markets simultaneously. One is Dhaka stock markets, another is New York stock markets, another is Oslo stock market. Uh, so th they are trying to see what would be a good time uh, to enter the market uh, uh, with a good uh, reaction for the market. But whenever it, it happens, uh, the idea for us is to gradually bring the shares to the uh, Grameen borrowers from Grameen side through the uh, mutual fund that we have already created. When we start a company as a non-profit and put some uh, project inside that company which we try to run as a business, that means we are not sure about its business viability yet. So it needs to be funded, it needs to be supported, 
uh, from the uh, sources of funds that the nonprofit can accumulate. Uh, once we see that it can now run its own, own it's a non-loss company, then we can create a company, a business company, rather than a, a company within the nonprofit format. So these are the experimental stages of things, like in the Grameen Kollan. Grameen Kollan or Grameen Wellbeing was created to address many of the issues which we cannot handle through Grameen Bank. There we have located our health program, trying to build a health insurance program and making it self-reliant. There are about 20 such health centers uh, running within uh, Bangladesh. And it's, uh, those healthcare programs are open for both Grameen borrowers and non-Grameen uh, people in the village. Uh, the distinction is Grameen borrowers pay less as insurance premium uh, than the non-Grameen people. Non-Grameen people pays double the amount that the Grameen people pay. And we are hoping that the income generated by this will be able to cover all the cost of the infrastructure that we have built in. And we started, it was less than 50% recovery of the cost. Now we have come near 90% of the recovery of that cost. So we are waiting a little more step to take so that we can recover the whole cost. And then you can open it up for replication, putting it into a business format. Uh, one of our next venture that we see now would be a, a nationwide healthcare program. It's coming up now. And experience from this uh, Grameen Health Kullan program would be enormously uh, helpful for us. What else we needed to add to it to make it more interesting to the uh, people? Uh, social businesses are focused on people's interest. That's by definition. That is something that is good to have. But if they are not business-wise successful, then what's the good of their good intentions? I could run a pharmaceutical company as a charity proposition. I give in a subsidized uh, medicine to people and at the end I make a big loss. Having social ventures on a business uh, platform is uh, a much stronger proposition than having social ventures as a charity proposition because charity money is a limited money. Business money is unlimited money because the more successful you are, more investors will come in, more uh, credit facilities you will get. Uh, because your uh, business is successful, we would like to be supportive of you. And uh, you uh, can hit the sky. Uh, so that is the exciting thing about being a social business entrepreneur. A social business entrepreneur can take its business, it can start small, if it's successful, then two things happen. You can expand your business, because more investors will be supporting you because you're successful, you're doing the job, you're reaching the objectives. And then other people can imitate you. Build the same system and uh, be a replicator. Or you can have a franchise business, uh, franchise social businesses uh, all over. Because they say, okay, we can do that in our corner of the world too. Why don't we do it? Uh, we have the same problem. We have the same a drinking water problem, we have the same healthcare problem. Uh, I would like to do it in my country, in my corner uh, of my city. I'm in a slum area, I would like to run a uh, healthcare kiosk designed by you and I'm your franchisee. So it can spread all over the world. So that's the business uh, social venture is all about. Since capitalism is narrowly interpreted, socially conscious people
don't want to get involved in business because that's uninteresting for them. That's not what we want. We don't want to make money. We want to do something else. So they are outside the business purview. I'm saying if you open it up, a lot of people will gradually come in, particularly young people who are looking for things to do in the world, uh, contribute in the world, and solve problems in the world. Uh, they will dream of becoming a social business entrepreneurs, and the facilities has to be created so that they become social business entrepreneurs. And I'm talking about even creating uh, departments. There are business schools producing MBAs. Uh, there will be a social business program in the uh, business school which will be creating social MBAs. And then you need another uh, institution to make it happen, like you have the stock markets. And the existing stock market, people go there to make more money, as, as simple as that. You don't go there for charity. So if I want to do good to people in a business way, I have no way to go. So I said, why don't we create a completely separate stock exchange where all the companies who are doing good to people, the social business enterprises, will be listed. But it could be women's empowerment, it could be street children, it could be drinking water, it could be arsenic problem in some place, it could be uh, pollution problem in another place, it could be uh, health care program in some place, it could be health insurance for poor people, uh, whatever. There's a hundred and one and thousand and one ideas that you can bring and run those things in a business way, uh, provided uh, the investors who would like, I cannot run a company like that, but I would like to invest in one. I have the money and I can spend it. If we have to run a social business enterprise right now, we run into a lot of problems because we have not set up supportive institutions alongside. So we would be depending a lot more on the old institutions and they will be at each stage questioning uh, our norms, our, they will not understand uh, our performance here at stakes and so on. If you are not making profit, why should I come and support you? Uh, why should I lend money to you? You are not making any profit. How are you going to pay us back? Uh, but doesn't mean that you, you have to be uh, uh, out of the market completely. It means that you are the first one to venture into new territory and you lead the way and others will follow you and create an institution. This is how the pioneers always uh, did. Be the first one, stick the neck out and make it happen. Luckily, already if you look around the world, there are many, many, more than we can think, are social business entrepreneurs. So uh, there will be initial problems, but if it sticks, if it, if it grows, uh, you can create your own world. Once you build it in, in the concept, you redefine the concept, then it becomes much more uh, easy to address the whole global situation uh, of uh, the problems of creating more poor people uh, through globalization. We are worried about globalization because globalization means uh, freedom for everybody. When you talk about freedom for everybody in business, it's the freedom of the rich, it's the freedom of the big, it's the freedom of the uh, big, uh, richest country, it's the freedom of the richest company, which means that the poor country and the poor companies uh, will have no chance. Uh, if you have opened up the highway of globalization, where the big cars and the big trucks can take over the highway, uh, no room for a Bangladeshi rickshaw or uh, our bullock cart on that, uh, on that road, then we are gone, we are finished. So there will be traffic rolls so that our rickshaw can go on on the street, maybe slow, maybe rickety, but it moves. It has room, it, is, it has full guarantee of safety and uh, all that. That's a globalization, proper globalization, not 
kind of knocking out globalization. And this would be easier, much easier, if we allow the social business entrepreneur to join in the uh, traffic because they will ensure the traffic is right because they are interested as people and they run business, their business are as good as those big companies' business. So you can't easily knock them off. Uh, so this is where all the bad uh, elements of globalization, all terrible aspects of globalization can be addressed if we allow these things to happen. Through this series, Ashoka hopes to inspire and spread awareness about social entrepreneurship and scalable solutions to global problems. The series is being used in the education arena, among businesses interested in corporate responsibility, by international development and civil society organizations, and by individuals seeking new careers and innovative ways to change the world. Ashoka would like to know what you think of this series. Please email your thoughts and ideas to ashokadvd at ashoka.org. Recognizing the power of individual innovation and social change, Bill Drayton founded Ashoka in 1981. Ashoka identifies and invests in extraordinary individuals with unprecedented ideas for change in their communities, supporting them, their ideas, and institutions through all phases of their careers. For more information or to get involved, visit www.ashoka.org. Our audio files are delivered by Limelight Networks, the high-performance content delivery network for digital media. Thank you, Limelight, for your support of the Conversations Network. The Conversations Network is supported in part by listener memberships, so please visit our website at conversationsnetwork.org to learn more about becoming a member. The post-production audio engineer for this program was Stephen Eng. Our website editor was... The series producer is Liz Evans. My name is Eric Nee, and I hope you'll join us next time for another program from the Ashoka Social Entrepreneurship Series. The preceding program was brought to you by Stanford on iTunes U and is copyrighted by the Board of Trustees of the Leland Stanford Junior University. Please visit us at itunes.stanford.edu.